Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Fantastic. Yeah, they're doing a great job and uh, yeah, particularly pray a... a uh, Real estate agent to look for a uh, potential lease building, uh, which is really, really exciting. So appreciate your prayers with that. And uh, so, yeah, hopefully that all goes well to tomorrow. It's going to be great. Um, a few years ago, I learnt to scuba dive. And uh, the course had a couple of components. It has the theory component, which you have to do, and then obviously the, the practical and uh, for those that maybe know a bit about scuba diving, you could imagine that the, that the gear uh, that you need, there's a lot of different gear, and it's all very important, and it's also very expensive. So when you're learning and the theory and the, and the practical, you kind of just borrow the sort of the standard uh, gear to see um, how you're going to go and, uh, you know, because you need to know if you can equalise, if you're going to be good at it and all that uh, kind of stuff. But... We went to the course, I could equalise fine, we loved it and so we decided that we were going to uh, buy some gear and, uh, but we decided, well, uh, we'll buy the cheapest online gear that we could possibly buy uh, because nothing ever goes wrong with online purchases, does it? It always, always just works out, it's exactly what you order. Anyway, the order did come, it looked fine, I went diving a couple of times and everything was, was working great. And uh, one of the things that they do teach you in, in the theory classes is to never dive by yourself because if something goes wrong, uh, it can be fatal, obviously, you know, dealing with a lot of different stuff. But I thought, well, they have to say that because when you're in the theory class, you're an amateur, you haven't done any dives and you haven't, you know, but like by this time, you know, I dived like three whole times. And I had my own gear, so like I was, was surely an expert now, I thought, so I could go diving uh, by myself. And so off I went, looking for crayfish, I'm down, I, I, I catch a, a little one, which was, you know, pretty good and pretty exciting, I'm comfortable down on the bottom, I, uh, I check the, the gauge on my, on my new gear, and it says that I got a third of a tank left, and uh, I can see off in the distance, sort of down about... 12 metres uh, below the surface that there was this uh, cave which I thought could have some crayfish in there. So I thought, I've got enough air, got enough time, I can go down and see if there's some more crayfish down uh, under this ledge. So I'm down there, I'm investigating, I'm down in this, in this cave underneath and um, looking for crayfish, having a great time. And uh, I breathe out, fine, and I go to breathe in, and nothing, no air. So I checked my gauge, and sure enough, it had gone from a third full to almost empty in what seemed like a matter of only a few moments. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had one of those cars where, like, you know, the fuel gauge, you seem to get more out of the first half of the tank than the last half. That's kind of what happened. So the problem was, of course, uh, I'm on the bottom with scuba tanks and a weight belt, lead weights weighing me down and all of this stuff. 
and I'm under a ledge 12 meters down and I've got no air. And again, in the theory class, they said if, you, if that ever happens, because you're down so low and you don't have time to equalize, what you have to do is you have to breathe out the entire way that you're swimming up so that you, know, you don't have any negative effects of the bends or different things like that that happens as you're ascending really, really quickly. Which again, in theory class, kind of sounds easy. You just go, yeah, that, that sounds easy. But down the bottom, way down, looking up at how high 12 metres, you know, like, so it's probably you know, twice the height of this roof, way down, you just think, that is impossible. I mean, I've gone to breathe in and there's nothing and now I've, got to, I've already just breathed out and I've got to make it all the way up and breathe out the whole way. But I swim for all my might and I'm breathing out the entire way and... I'm sure you can imagine the desperation, the joy, the relief, the life that I felt as I burst through the surface of the water and could stop finally breathing out and breathe in for the first time again. And oxygen flows back, life flows back to every cell of my body. As Joni Mitchell said, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. And sometimes until we're grasping for breath, you've probably just taken breathing for granted like I had until that point. So it was as I was on the bottom of the ocean, expecting to breathe in but unable to, it was the absence of air in my lungs that made me aware of its presence for the very first time. And what if the same is true of the Holy Spirit? What if, like the oxygen in your lungs, the Holy Spirit is always present, always active? And then there are those times in our lives, I'm sure that you've felt it, those times of desperation where you can't feel Him, where you go to, to breathe in deeply of the things of God and it feels as though there's just nothing there. But what if in those times, far from it meaning that you're not a Christian or that God has abandoned you, what if this distressing sense of his absence is actually the best evidence of his presence. There are a few things in life where we have utter desperation and overwhelm breaking through the surface of that water to take that breath. But maybe that's kind of what an experience with the Holy Spirit is supposed to be like. We've been in this series, as we've said, for the last, uh, this is the, the fourth week of this series called Wind and Fire, looking at the Holy Spirit. And we started back on Pentecost Sunday when that fire of the Holy Spirit came. And so the fire part might have been obvious to you. You know, we had that amazing, uh, you know, sort of creative item that explained and, and shared all of that. But what about this wind component. 
If you look at the Hebrew or the Old Testament word for spirit, it is ruah. I think we have it, if we can have that up. So the top one is uh, how you would write uh, the spirit in, in Hebrew. It's pronounced ruah. And the Greek is uh, below. And uh, that is the word pneuma. And uh, for both of these, it's interesting, both languages, both Old and New Testament, the most literal translation of the word spirit in both of those is actually this idea of breath. This life-giving breath that we all so desperately need. In Genesis 1-2, right at the very beginning... It says, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was moving or hovering or brooding over the face of the waters. So, both those words, spirit, and the word hovering or brooding, uh, moving, some say even fluttering, is this idea of breath or life-giving wind. So, the Holy Spirit did not arrive at Pentecost with fire. The Holy Spirit was before there was a was to start with. The Holy Spirit, the breath of the Holy Spirit was what was there speaking life and creation into existence right at the very beginning. In chapter 2, when it's talking about the creation of man, it says this in Genesis 2 verse 7, it says, Then the Lord formed, that is, created the body of man from the dust of the ground, and then breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being an individual complete in body and spirit so unlike the other plants and animals the other plants and animals were yes created by the the voice the spirit of god this this moving rushing wind that could speak things into existence But in the original creation, we were given this life-giving spirit. This spirit was imparted to us in a different way than anything else in all creation. In fact, it was what was required to give us life. Life in body and in spirit. So... Put up your hand if you were born in this room. About 50% of you. Not sure what happened to the other 50. I mean, I was born by cesarean, but I was still kind of born. So I don't know how you got here. But I think, uh, you know, most of us in this room were born. We were born physically, but because of... Sin, because Adam and Eve, they ate of this fruit of the tree of 
that God asked them not to, to eat of, sin entered the world. And it was like that there was this separation that took place between God and man. And so since then, it is like all creation, or not all creation, but us as human beings, it's like we've been born physically alive, but spiritually holding our breath. Starved of spiritual oxygen. Spiritually, we need to be what's called born again. It doesn't happen automatically at our physical birth. We've been born holding our breath. But Jesus tells us, as he told Nicodemus, that we can stop holding our breath and be born again, not just of the physical, as in John 3.3. Jesus answers him, I assure you, unless a person is born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, sanctified, he cannot ever see and experience the kingdom of God. He goes on in verse 6, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, just like what Sue was talking about. The physical is merely physical. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be surprised that I have told you, you must be born again, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed and sanctified. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it is coming from or where it is going. So it is with everybody who is born of the Spirit. So the good news for us this morning, is that we can stop holding our breath. The good news is God has made a way through Jesus for us to be born again of the Spirit, to be transformed, to be renewed and sanctified, not by our effort, not by trying hard and not by following a whole series of rules and regulations, but simply by... Breathing in by being obedient to the Word of God because that was how we were made in the beginning. By being obedient, the breath, everything in all creation is obedient to the Word of God, except for us at various times in our life. But how? What does that look like? Where is the surface? I mean, some of us right now might feel as though we are trapped under a ledge, weighed down by heavy weights. We're out of air. We don't know where our next breath is coming from. How can we breathe when we can't see the surface? We need the Holy Spirit. I kind of want to answer that by talking about the last fight that Belinda and I had. So in our household, I try as best I can to, to manage our finances. And uh, right now we are supposed to be saving for various mission trips. We've been asked to uh, go to Cambodia this year to visit our school. Uh, we've been asked to go to... 
uh, Vanuatu maybe early next year and hopefully we'll take a team there. There's a, a church that's opening up there that we've sent money over after a, uh, a cyclone went through and they're um, having an opening ceremony. They've asked us to, to come there and be part of that. Um, as I said, next week we've got David Helliard coming and so there's going to be uh, trips back to the, to the Philippines and uh, there was a trip that I had planned to go on with Richard Green just in, back in 2020, six weeks before lockdown happened. We had, uh, I think, three or four hundred pastors from all over sort of Central Asia, so places like uh, Ukraine and Afghanistan and different things were all coming to uh, a country called uh, Kyrgyzstan and we were going to run a church uh, planting school uh, but that had to, had to be cancelled and so we're hoping to reschedule that or something similar uh, coming up. But you can imagine uh, that with all of those amazing opportunities, there's a big cost and so we have to, we have to save. Or at least I know we have to save. <laughs> so when Belinda spends money without asking me... Again, I don't just take it as money. I'm sure that you've probably had this, you know, husbands and wives in the room where you don't just take it as she's just spent money. I took it as she's devaluing me as a man and my role as head of the house and managing the funds. I took it as this thing that she knows that part of my call Part of who I am is to do this stuff with missions and so she's not just devaluing me as a, as a man, she's not just devaluing me as head of the household, but she's devaluing my call of God when she goes and spends that money. I'm sure you probably know what I... It's not just what is happening, there's all this feeling and emotion behind it. So I thought, well, <clears throat> I'm a man of God, I'm not going to get mad... But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to not initiate any conversation with her. <laughs> I'll answer her if she asks me a question, but I'm just like, I'm not going to start any conversation. Because then she'll see how desperately she needs me <laughs> and she'll come running back and say, I need you. Right, so I can hear from the laughter, you think this is a great plan. So anyway, so <laughs> day one, nothing. She, seemingly she doesn't even notice. Like she, like, so I started this whole thing because I'm feeling devalued and now I'm feeling more devalued because she doesn't even notice that I'm not even talking to her. <laughs> Maybe she's enjoying the fact that, she, that I'm not talking to her. Day two. Mark notices something is going on. Mark counsels me for two hours. I'm crying, bawling my eyes out in the office. But I come home and steal nothing from Belinda. Day three, she gets mad at me, but she still doesn't say, I desperately need you, so I keep going on with the same plan. Now, the reason that she got mad at me and what was going on in her mind was that she knew that I had felt devalued and she thought that I was super mad at her which is why I wasn't talking to her so then she's kind of going well 
I'll wait for him to talk first so that, you know, when he's ready and when he's processed his emotions, which is what I normally do, that then he will be ready to talk. So I can't talk first. So I'll wait for him and I'm thinking, I'm not talking first because I'm waiting for for her. And it felt like that I was 12 years old again and back in this breath-holding contest with my brothers. We had a a swimming pool at my parents' place and we would time each other and we would have these competitions and I would always win even though sometimes it would cause me physical pain. I would always make sure that I won those breath-holding competitions because I wanted to win. Day five. (laughs) I realised that I could win this breath-holding competition, but at what cost to me physically? I knew that she loved me. I knew that I loved her. I just didn't feel it at that moment. But I decided that I would breathe in, break the surface, And then after I breathed in, I cried out, I love you, let's stop this. And she cried out in response, I love you too, I'm so sorry. So I lost the breath-holding contest, but love and redemption won the day. But some people think that being led by the Spirit, being born again, this whole idea is all about feelings. It's about trusting your feelings over facts. But in this instance, the Spirit was leading me to do something opposite. That I actually had to trust the truth over my feelings because my feelings were wrong. It was not that my feelings had changed. It was not because I was smarter or that I deserved it. It was not because I had all of a sudden become more powerful. It was simply the fact that I had been born again, led of the Spirit, spiritually alive, that I knew what it was like to have oxygen in my lungs, that... In that moment, because I had decided to hold my breath, I knew that there was something wrong. And I wanted to breathe again. And so the Holy Spirit was leading me to that place, not to win, not to be more powerful, but leading me to a place where I could again find oxygen, where I could again find life. And it came through humility. And it came through not trusting my feelings, but relying on facts. I knew that I needed to breathe again, to let love in, to let hope in, to let forgiveness in. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't breathe without Him. Psalm 
84 verse 11 says, He gives us grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk along His paths. No good thing will He withhold. Which includes the Holy Spirit. God will not withhold the Holy Spirit from any of you who seek after it. But also, if we are made in His image and likeness, then we too cannot withhold any good thing from other people made in the image and likeness of God. So right now, my question to you is, where have you been holding your breath? Where have you been withholding your words of affirmation, of love, of forgiveness? I'm sure that all of you can think of someone, a spouse, a parent, a child, who has some gifts, some talents that God has, has given them, something good about them that God has bestowed to them that you have never told them. Or maybe you haven't told them enough or told them lately. Stop withholding stop holding your breath when it comes to dispensing those words of love and affirmation this is your gift by the before the end of the day i encourage you to use this gift the breath that the holy spirit has breathed into you that breath of life breathe life words of encouragement into someone else stop withholding Stop holding your breath. I think so often when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, we get so caught up in this idea of speaking in tongues that we sometimes miss the larger point. I know that in this room that there are people that do speak in tongues and those people can miss the point because maybe they think that that's all there is to the Holy Spirit and so if you're speaking in tongues you've ticked the box and then there are other people that don't yet speak in tongues or maybe a bit even fearful of that and so they think well that's the Holy Spirit and so then we keep the Holy Spirit at bay because we don't necessarily think that we want that or deserve that But the Holy Spirit is so much more than just speaking in tongues. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, I desire that you all speak in tongues, but even more that you prophesy. He goes on in verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others, then 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. So tongues is available for all. And we should use it all the time. Paul is saying that he uses it more than anybody. We should use it every day as part of our private prayer time. But here when we gather 
in church, when we gather in groups of two and three and five and ten and twenty, speaking words of encouragement, words of prophecy, is so much more important than just speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is good, but it's not the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. And again, maybe you've been afraid of that fire aspect of the Holy Spirit because maybe you've been burnt, you've prayed for speaking in tongues before and you didn't get it, or you've heard people speak in tongues and it kind of sounds crazy and uncontrolled, just like a bushfire. And so just like if you were in a bushfire, you've run the other way. But can I encourage you, don't run away from the Holy Spirit. The wind of the Holy Spirit, the breath of the Holy Spirit brings life. Like we've already said, there are words of encouragement, words of wisdom, words of, of knowledge, of words of affirmation. There's prophecy, the importance of prophecy, as we just read in that passage from, from Paul. The other day, I'm not sure if she's in here today, but uh, the other day, a couple of weeks ago, I went up to Alicia and I gave her a hug and we were talking, I'm training some uh, people to become pastors and we were sitting there and we were talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I said to Alicia, I said, you know, a couple of weeks ago I gave you that hug, I felt that that was a hug from the Holy Spirit. It's like a father hugging, a, hugging a, a child. You can hug someone in the Spirit. Hospitality is a gift of the Spirit. Wednesday night, Chris Guttridge sitting at the back there for Life Kids Academy cooked a banana caramel pie. That was from the Holy Spirit of God. And you might think, oh, Pastor Josh, like, we're supposed to be talking about spiritual... Like, that's a natural thing. That's a, that's a physical thing. You just like it because it had lots of caramel and stuff like that in there. Like, aren't we supposed to be talking about supernatural things? That's just natural. That's just like breathing. And maybe what you think is normal, but they're actually gifts of the Spirit. And can I encourage you, don't wait until you're grasping for air to thank Him for the gifts that He has given you. The Spirit is here and working. So being baptized in the Spirit is good. But being born again of the Spirit, as we have read, is essential. And they are two different things. The Apostle Paul uh, in Acts 19 is talking to this guy, Apollos. And he said this, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Apollos believed he was 
born again. He was filled with the Spirit without him even knowing that there was a Spirit. He'd been born again of the Spirit. He had life because he said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Meaning that you can receive the Holy Spirit and not be baptized in the Spirit. And so Paul still goes on to baptize Apollos in the Holy Spirit and he speaks in tongues. But the two are separate things. Clearly, you can be filled with the Spirit. But it's so much more important to make sure that first and foremost, we've been saved by the Spirit. Hopefully we've seen, as we've started this journey from Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit is so important in the life of every believer. In fact, I would put Pentecost as one of the top four events of all time. If we can have that next picture up. Thanks. So I've put here key Christian events. So we start with creation, where God made us. Christmas, God with us. Easter, God for us. And then Pentecost, God in us. So step one is realizing and recognizing that God made us. That we're made in His image and His likeness, which speaks of our value and worth. Step two is then knowing uh, that God is with us, which speaks to our feelings of abandonment and loneliness and isolation. Step three is knowing that while sin is against us and works against our physical body, God is for us. And this speaks to our need for forgiveness and redemption by grace through faith in the finished work of the cross. That just like we read in Acts, salvation comes through the finished work of the cross. Nothing more than the cross is needed for salvation. I want to make that very clear. But when it comes to Christian living, God has promised us an abundant life, life to the full. So in Christ, there is always more. There is more love, more grace, more hope, more joy. So why wouldn't we want more? So then step four in this abundant Christian life is God, the Holy Spirit, being in us. Not just forgiving our past, but empowering our future. This speaks to our desperate need, like air, for, for breath, for help in fulfilling our calling. Every single one of us has a calling. And some of us think if, if we didn't have a calling or a purpose, or maybe I don't have a calling or a purpose, then I don't necessarily need the work of the Holy Spirit 
in my life. That's for those super Christians that have a calling, that have a purpose. But the Holy Spirit is actually evident in all four of these steps. We already read at the beginning that it was the Spirit speaking life into us that made us in the first place. We kind of then know that Pentecost, God being in us, that the Spirit is at work and active. But what about this idea of salvation, of repentance? Do we need the Holy Spirit for that? I mean, isn't our ability to be saved based on my willingness and ability to repent, to cry out to God? Well, yes and no. When a baby is first born into this world, there's something that has to take place and there's something that the parents and the midwives and the doctors look for. And the first sign of life that they look for once that baby has transitioned from being in the womb to being in this world is that it will cry out. And when that baby cries out for the first time, it's the sound of life. But something has to happen before a baby can cry out. And that is it needs to breathe in. And so it is when we breathe in in order to cry out. And so it is when we are born again, born of the Spirit. Yes, we need to respond by crying out. I repent. We need to respond by crying out. I I need you, God. We need to cry out, save me. But in order for us to be able to have the breath in our lungs to cry that out, we need the Holy Spirit to first breathe His life into us. That there is no work of salvation without the Holy Spirit. Which then helps explain probably one of the most difficult passages in Scripture. When Jesus talks about this idea of the unforgivable sin. Let's read it in Mark 3. This is Jesus talking. He says, I promise you that any of the sinful things you say or do can be forgiven, no matter how terrible those things are. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. It's been confusing for a lot of people, I'm sure. And I'm sure that there are some people in this room that fear that they have committed the unforgivable sin. But if you fear that you've committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. And if right now, when you hear me say that, you're now fearful of the fact that you haven't been fearful in the past and you think, well, maybe then I have committed the unforgivable sin because Pastor just said that you need to be fearful of it and I haven't been fearful of it. But now you are, so you're welcome. (laughs) But some of you are kind of more confused now than before I read this passage out. So you're just like, like, still, how does, this, how does this happen? How does this work? So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is really important life-changing stuff. 
how do you know if or not you've committed the unforgivable sin? Okay, you ready? Dead people don't grasp the air. What does that mean? Let me try to explain this way. Can a married man be a bachelor? No. Sometimes they act like it, but they're not. (laughs) Can a vegan eat bacon? No. So the second that a bachelor is married, they cease to become a bachelor. The second that a vegan eats bacon, they cease to be a vegan. Can you be saved or forgiven without the Holy Spirit? No. This is the unforgivable sin, not because the sin is so bad or so wrong. Can we have the passage back up there, please? Because the amazing part is found in the first part of the passage. I promise you that any sinful thing that you say or do can be forgiven. We kind of gloss over that because we want to focus on the bad, like, have I done this bad thing? This is the most amazing news ever. Any sinful thing that you say or do can be forgiven, no matter how terrible those things are. What it is speaking to is the work of the Holy Spirit. That any sin can be forgiven with the work of the Holy Spirit. That any sin, no matter how small, cannot be forgiven without the Holy Spirit, without the breath of life. So have you committed the unforgivable sin? Are you resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Because right now the Holy Spirit wants to breathe life and life eternal into you. That you can walk out of this place, not in this place of fear, wondering, have I committed this unforgivable sin? That with the Holy Spirit, there is life. need time to just breathe that in that every sin no matter how bad how terrible can be forgiven by the power of the Spirit and if there's anyone that is still not convinced that still don't know if the Holy Spirit is in them or not you might say yes I kind of see that there is this breath and Life that comes from the Holy Spirit. And yes, I can kind of see that with the Holy Spirit that any sin can be forgiven. And yes, I can see that with the Holy Spirit there is empowerment for my calling, for my, for my future. But I still don't know, how do I know if the Spirit is in me? Well, 
kind of know. That, oh, I'm not getting this out. kind of know that what you breathe in changes what comes out. Whether that be tongues, whether that be words of encouragement, whether that be words of prophecy, If the Holy Spirit is moving into your life, it's going to change what comes out. The key scripture is this. If they can have it up. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So would you like to stand? And if you're doubting today that the Spirit of God is in you, then we're going to change what comes out of you. That this, that this passage says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So if you make this confession today, if you confess with your mouth, if you let what is passing your vocal cords, the air that the, the air of the Holy Spirit that has been breathed into you is going to cause you to make this declaration, Jesus is Lord, then you're going to walk out of this place knowing that the Spirit of the living God is in you. To forgive your past, to change your future, to empower you to do the things that you can walk out with a knowledge of who God is. If we can have that next one up. That's just the climax. That's all right. So what we're going to do, church, is you can read Jesus is Lord. You can proclaim it. You can proclaim any one of those other things that are on the screen. Thank you for saving me. I'm a new creature in Christ. Pick something. Make a declaration. Start right now. Just, just start proclaiming, Jesus is Lord. Start proclaiming. If you have a prayer language, you can use that. Let it change. Let the Holy Spirit within change what comes out of you. Let's make this declaration. I walk by faith and not by sight. I'm a child of God. God heals all my diseases. I'm no longer, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Let's start to proclaim these things, church. Let's start to lift up the name of God. There is nothing too hard for my God. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
I praise God because I have fearfully, wonderfully made. He is in you. Let it change what comes out of you. Let's make this declaration, church. Let's sing. Let's praise the God of heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.